So here we are entering the fifth week of Lent. How's your Lent going so far? Have you been faithful to some of the promises that you made at the beginning of Lent? If you've kind of gone off track, that's okay. You can get back on track. There's still a couple weeks left. If, if you didn't do anything, there's still time to maybe give something up or promise to do something that will bring you closer to God. Remember, this is a great time for us to detach ourselves of the world so that we can become closer to God. Today, in our Gospel reading, we transition from what we had in the first part of Lent. In the first part of Lent, we were reading from the Synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And last weekend, Latari Sunday, we now transition to the Gospel of John. And in the first Gospels, the Synoptic Gospels, we're learning about what it's like to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. In John's Gospel, we learn what it is to be, who is Jesus Christ. We're learning about who is Jesus Christ here. And today we have another beautiful story about forgiveness. Last week we had the story of the prodigal son. And that was a parable. It was a story that Jesus told to make a point. However, today is a real-life situation in the life of our Lord where the scribes and the Pharisees bring a woman to him and ask him uh, basically to make a judgment here. And as we read this story, this gospel story, there's great symbolism here. And I want to take a few minutes to talk about some of that symbolism. In the very beginning of the gospel, it almost kind of goes unnoticed, but it says that Jesus went to the Mount of Olives, but early in the morning he arrived again in the temple area. The significance of that is earlier in the history of Israel, they had been unfaithful to God. And so the prophet Ezekiel had said that the Lord God had left the temple, but he would return, and when he returned, he would be returning from the east. So if you're familiar with the geography of Jerusalem, the Kidron Valley and then the Mount of Olives is to the east of the temple. So our Lord, praying on uh, the Mount of Olives, came through the Kidron Valley and came into the temple. So he is that Messiah returning to the temple. And we also read here that he sat down and people started coming to him and he taught them. And people are attracted to him because he is of love and truth. He's not like the Pharisees and the scribes who lord their power over the people. Our Lord is of love and truth and that's attractive to people. And that's something that we can take in our own lives when we our love and truthful people are attracted to us in our own faith. And then we see the situation that's put in front of our Lord. It says here that the Pharisees brought in a woman who had been caught in adultery. In fact, they say the very act of committing adultery. So this woman was probably in a private place with some man and they caught her in the very act. And, you know, what I think of here is, you know, this is something like a setup. 
It's something where they are really, they've contrived a situation to accuse this woman and bring her to our Lord. They're not really concerned about this woman's salvation. They're using her as an object, an object to put in front of our Lord to give him a dilemma. And I also look at the situation and I say, where's the man? I mean, she wasn't committing adultery on her own. It was with a man. But there's no man there. It's just her. And again, that just kind of shows how men sometimes objectify women. And we see that as they bring this woman to Jesus, they put her in the middle there. And I've imagined this woman embarrassed, shameful, and again, they're not concerned about her. Again, they're just using her as an object. They pose this dilemma to Jesus. They really basically give him two choices. Stone her or forgive her. And really, there's a downside to both of those. If Jesus were to say, stone her, he would be pronouncing a death sentence on the woman. And at that time, really only the Romans were allowed to kill people. In fact, that's why the Pharisees bring Jesus to Pilate, because they themselves are not able to kill somebody. They need the Romans to do, to do that. So if Jesus were to say, stone her, he would be subverting Roman justice. On the other hand, if he says, forgive her, then he's really kind of subverting the law of Moses. Because the law of Moses said that a betrothed virgin caught in the act of adultery should be stoned. So here they are. They've presented this dilemma to Jesus. What is he going to do? And our Lord, being very wise, he really changes the question, right? He kneels down and he starts to write in the ground. What does he write? Well, maybe he writes down the sins of some of her own accusers. Maybe he's putting before them their own sins. Maybe he's making them think that perhaps I shouldn't be the one accusing her because I myself am sinful. Or maybe he's writing the new law in the, law, in the ground. As remember, you know, when the scribe came to him and said, Teacher, what is the greatest commandment? He says, You shall love the Lord your God with your whole heart, with your whole soul, with your whole mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And so maybe that's the law he's writing down to give them this new commandment. But whatever he writes, it has some effect because they begin to drop their stones and walk away. And it says here in the Gospel that they went away one by one, beginning with the elders. I think the elders were able to see either maybe their own sin in their own lives, that maybe I shouldn't be the one to cast the first stone because I too am sinful. Or maybe it was because they were the wisest and they really saw the situation here 
a contrived situation against this woman. But for whatever reason, they all leave. And the woman is there by herself with our Lord. And this reminds me of the movie, The Passion of the Christ. And in that movie, they throw the woman on the ground. And as she's laying on the ground, I see her hand reaching out to touch the foot of our Lord as she seeks his forgiveness and his love. And that's the scene that I have in my mind. And so she is the only one left. And he says to her, does anyone condemn you? And she says, no. And he says, neither do I condemn you. And then what's very important is he says, go and from now on do not sin anymore. So he forgives her sins, but he tells her, you have to repent, you have to reform your life. Do not sin anymore. And those others who left, they too could have had their sins forgiven, but they chose not to. They chose not to remain, mostly because of their own pride. So this is a great story, has a lot to teach us, and I want to ask, what does this mean to us right now? Well, there's a few things I think we can talk about here. The first thing is, with respect to sin, how do we know what is sin? Well, first of all, it all starts with a well-formed conscience. Each one of us is responsible for forming our own conscience to know what is right and what is wrong. So what is right for you and what is wrong for you is really the same as for the other people. To believe that, well, what's right and wrong for me is different than what's right or wrong for somebody else, that's what we call moral relativism. And that's not right. That's not what we believe. We believe that our Lord, through the gospel, through the teaching of the church, has defined what is right. And that's how we should create a well-formed conscience. Another thing is, how do we react to the sin of others in our own lives? Do we pick up our own stones, ready to condemn people? Maybe there's somebody in your life who has hurt you. Maybe you can't forgive them. Maybe you've thrown a stone at them that kind of separates and breaks that relationship between you. Our Lord is saying, no, don't condemn those people. Reform that, repent there, try and heal that break, okay? Maybe instead of condemning people, we ignore people. Maybe we say to them, well, you know, I'm personally opposed to that sin that person committed, but it's not right for me to impose my views on somebody else. That would kind of be what our politicians say when they propose some pro-abortion legislation. I myself am not in favor of that, but I, I can't impose my will on somebody else. Again, that's moral relativism. We should really believe that there is a truth, a common truth, and what's bad for one person is bad for another. So we can condemn, we can ignore, or maybe we could walk with that person. 
And I imagined walking next to somebody with my arm around them and saying, Brother, sister, this sin that you're doing is hurting you. It's hurting your family. It's hurting those who love you. Look at this. Stop doing this, okay? Maybe that's the way we should react to people who we see are in sin. How do we view forgiveness? Do we view some sins as being unforgivable? I was talking to a young woman some time ago who had been involved in an abortion. And she felt that her sin was unforgivable. That what she had done was so bad, there was just no way that our Lord could forgive her. And I said, no, no, that's not true. That's false. Our Lord has infinite mercy, infinite forgiveness. All we have to do is come to him with a contrite heart and ask for his forgiveness. That's what we have to do. This week, we have an opportunity for each one of us to seek the forgiveness of the Lord, the sacrament of confession. This Wednesday, April 10th, is a complete full day where confessions are available to everybody here in the parish and throughout the diocese. The bishop has declared this as a Be Reconciled Day. So here at St. Patrick's, in the chapel back there, there are confessions from 9 a.m. to 8 p.m. Or at the downtown church, if you speak Spanish, they have confessions there from 10 a.m. to 1 p.m. And every Lent, we should all try to make a good confession. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter how long you've been away from confession. Our Lord wants you to come. He wants you to confess your sins. He wants to absolve you through the presence of the priest. So today, Jesus' message is not one of condemnation, but it's one of forgiveness. And he wants to forgive all of us if, if we resolve with the help of his grace to confess our sins, to do penance, and to amend and change our life.